They said it was an unbreakable record. For 57 years, no ball player had been able to approach Ty Cobb's all-time hit record of 4,191. Until one September evening in 1985, when the player manager of the Cincinnati Reds, Pete Rose, broke the unbreakable record. Yet after the fanfare of his great accomplishment, the, the crowning achievement of his career, as that began to die down, Rose experienced something wholly unexpected. In his autobiography, he later wrote that he experienced something of a letdown. He found himself that night disillusioned, maybe even a little depressed. You see, he had spent his entire adult life chasing accolades and glory on the baseball diamond. And suddenly, there was no more accolades to accumulate, no more records to break, no more mountains to scale, so to speak. And he didn't know what he would do with himself. You know, this anecdote, this story, it poses a very serious question for us. Why wasn't it enough to make Pete Rose happy? He had everything our society tells us is necessary for happiness. He was rich. He was famous. He couldn't go anywhere in Cincinnati without people recognizing him. He couldn't probably go most places in the country without people recognizing him. He made a living playing baseball, and he would be remembered as one of the greatest ever. He had everything our society tells us is necessary for happiness, but he wasn't happy. Why wasn't that enough to satisfy the human heart? You know, our readings today, they speak to this question. Our first reading is from one of the most unusual books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. And that book begins with the beginning verse of our first reading. Vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. What does that mean? Well, I think for those of us who speak modern English, this line can be a little confusing because when we use vanity today, we typically use it for someone who is, say, full of themselves, has a really big ego. You know, think of uh, the guy at the gym who spends as much time checking himself out in the mirror as he does working out. We would say he's vain. That's not really what Koheleth, what the book of Ecclesiastes is getting at. It's not saying that all things are full of themselves. We also use vain to speak of things that are empty, futile, uh, hollow, or, or worthless. So, for instance, like if I were to lose my wallet, and I look and look for my wallet, but I can't find it. You know, I might say, I searched in vain for my wallet. I searched, but I couldn't find it. The search was useless. It's kind of an archaic way of speaking, but people would know what you mean. But even this, I think, misses the mark as to what Ecclesiastes is trying to communicate with this verse. The Hebrew word that we translate as vanity is hebel. It literally means vapor, mist, breath. So what is Ecclesiastes saying when they say, vanity of vanity, all things are vanity? 
saying that the things of this world are passing, they're temporary. Good though they are, they come to an end. And they can't satisfy our heart, which has this desire for an eternal good, a good that doesn't, la doesn't end, that's infinite. You know, people can look at Ecclesiastes and they say, well, this is just a very bleak sentiment that there's nothing lasting that's good in this world. None of the good things of this world endure. Really, our Catholic biblical tradition has seen this book, the entire book, as if it's posing one difficult but honest question. Is there any ultimate lasting good in this world, meaning in this world that endures? And if the book of Ecclesiastes asks this difficult and honest question, the rest of the Bible in general and the Gospels in particular provide the answer. And this dynamic, we see it at work in our Gospel, this difficult question with the answer of the Gospels. We see the parable of the rich fool, right, who finds out that all this wealth that he worked so hard to accumulate, it's all vanity, it's vapor, mist. Why? Because that night his life is taken, and all that labor is for naught. He said, I finally arrived, now I can enjoy all this good stuff, I have comfort and security, but comfort and security didn't last very long for him. You know, the message of this gospel, like the message of Ecclesiastes, it isn't that earthly goods are bad. They're not. They're good. They're just not so good that they ought to be the ultimate purpose and goal of our life. You know, and this is ultimately why Pete Rose felt let down after breaking Ty Cobb's record. By his own words, he put baseball on a pedestal as if it were the sole goal and purpose of life. Now, I, I don't mean to beat up on Pete Rose. I, I, I use his story because I think many of us can relate to it and because it does illustrate this point of the gospel that if we take anything in this life, any created good, and we put it on a pedestal, you know, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a number in our bank account, whether it's physical comfort or pleasure or security, or even human relationships, whatever it might be, if we put this on a pedestal and say, when I have this, I'm going to be happy. When I, this is my ultimate goal and purpose in life. If we do that, then the day will come when we will find ourselves in the same place Pete Rose was on that September night in 1985, wondering why we aren't happy, even though we've acquired whatever we were looking for. These readings, they do give us hope. It's not just about uh, the, the passing, uh, temporary nature of the goods of this world. They give us hope because while the things of this world do pass away, while they are vapor, vanity of vanities, there is one who doesn't pass away, who is the very opposite of mere vapor, mere vanity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is our first cause. He is our creator, our father, and he's our final end. He's our ultimate goal and purpose in this life. The parable of the rich fool shows that in the end, we're not going to be judged by our net worth or how many big league records we own. It won't matter how much treasure we stored up for ourselves. What will count is if we're rich in what matters to God. I think the most 
important part of this gospel are those haunting words that Jesus closes with. Thus will it be for all who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. So I suppose the million-dollar question is, what does it mean to be rich in what matters to God? We don't have to overcomplicate it. I think St. Paul, in our second reading, he lays it out for us. Seek what is above. If you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It means we need to seek first his kingdom. We need to seek to love God with all our hearts and mind and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then we will be rich in what matters to God. Seek what is above. That also means we need to strive to separate ourselves from sin by the grace of God. Right? So St. Paul goes on to say, put to death immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the greed that is idolatry. We need to strive for virtue and to, to root out vice by God's grace from our life. We need to seek to be holy. You know, ultimately, the saints provide us an example of what it means to be rich in what matters to God. And that's what we're called to be. You know, we're called to greatness, to glory, to a greatness and glory that is infinitely beyond anything this world can offer. So let's resolve to seek what is above so that we might be truly rich in what matters to God.